So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. I hope you had an enjoyable festive break and that despite all of your dread about what global politics has in store for us all in 2017, I hope you are having a happy new year. In fact, I tried to spread some positivity about 2017 on my Facebook wall, facebook.com slash I asked my followers to tell me what it was that they were really looking forward to this year in order that I might share a bit of joy. Um, so firstly, hello to Rebecca and Natasha, who are getting married this year, not to each other, separately, uh, on the 14th of January and 25th of February, respectively. That is a good life event to look forward to, I think we can all agree. Uh, Happy New Year to Stephen as well, who is looking forward to starting a new job, getting married in August, having a honeymoon in Australia, and seeing his niece for the first time. Not a bad shopping list. Uh, Hi to Faye, who is getting her first novel published this year. To Gary, who is looking forward to Liverpool winning the league. Gary, I know so little about football. I don't know if that's a serious prospect or if you're making a funny joke. Uh, I don't care. Don't write in and tell me. But I'm very glad that you're happy. Uh, Happy New Year, Polly, uh, who is looking forward to getting a new dog. James, who is looking forward to sending us some beer money. Uh, James, that really will make your year come alive. Do that as soon as possible. Uh, And Happy New Year as well to Edgar, who is looking forward in 2017 to Christmas which (laughs) I guess is part of the year, though perhaps it's wise to focus your energies, Edgar, on an event in the first 11 and a half months or so. Um, This week's show is the final episode of season three. No conspiracy here. We always do uh, seasons of 10 episodes. But the good news is we are coming back with season four sooner than ever. Uh, We're in fact aiming to do 30 episodes this year instead of 20. Uh, So that's really exciting. And that is thanks to your donations, your enthusiasm and your advertising dollars, if you've got in touch to put an ad on the show. Uh, So thank you very much for listening and enjoying what we do. Series four will start next month, February the 14th, Valentine's Day. Uh, But in this season finale, uh, we are going to bring you the third installment in my attempt to do a uh, Michael Apted 7-Up style sequence of episodic documentaries. Uh, Yeah, it's How to Be a Dad Part 3, the third in my series of discussions with the comedians Tom Price and Stuart Goldsmith about bringing up our respective babies who are now approaching their first birthdays. Uh, If you haven't heard part one or part two of this How To Be A Dad series before, then do check them out on our podcast feed. I think it was episode five of series one and episode five of series two. Um, I'll link to them as well in the blog post of this episode at modernman.co.uk. So in this week's show, you're going to learn how to make a fiddle board. You're going to learn how to play guilt tennis And you'll learn why bringing the smell of the farmyard into your bedroom is a good thing for the environment. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. Yes, he's watching telly and he's eating something weird or whatever, but they're fine and they're not currently dead. Bringing up a baby whilst maintaining your relationship. 
Can it really be so hard? They have a drawstring at the base, so you essentially tie them round your todger. And Alex Fox goes back to nature as she tackles a question of eco-sex. But first, it's the man who's got his finger on the pulse long after the corpse has died. It's Ollie Peart with the Zeitgeist. Hello, Ollie. Hello, Ollie. We are going to look forward mm. to your predictions for the big trends of 2017. Yes. Shall I remind us all what you predicted this time last year would be the big trends of 2016? Just to give us a yardstick to measure by. Yeah, it'd be handy because I've completely forgotten. Well, you predicted that 2016 would finally be the year for VR headsets. Okay. And I I said, "Eh, it's not going to be a massively mainstream product. It's only going to be for nerds. And you said, essentially, yes, it is. Oculus Rift, da, da, da. But in fairness, we were both kind of wrong, because it has actually been a big product for gamers, hasn't it? It's just not for everyone else. Yeah, kind of, but I think your scepticism was warranted, because it hasn't really been as massive as I said it was going to be. It hasn't really taken off. Most people don't have it, but 2017... (laughs) Don't say it's going to be the year for VR. No, I don't think it is, but Microsoft are launching the HoloLens, or HoloLens, whatever you want to call it, so it's more like workplace stuff. So I think maybe we'll see a bit more of virtual reality in the workplace and things like that. You also said last year that 2016 would be the year of silent film. By which you meant Facebook video without sound. Yeah, and I think... You were right. Yeah, absolutely. Of course I was right. In a kind of distressing way, because basically what's happened is Facebook now just doesn't let you watch YouTube, does it? You post up a YouTube video, no fucking clicks on it. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, what you were basically predicting is that Facebook would deliberately go out their way to kill Google Video. Yeah, and they're succeeding because what they do is they they fluff up their figures as well. A Facebook video will get loads of views... And it strokes the ego of those that have posted it up there when actually, like, 500 Facebook views is, like, one YouTube view. Yeah. I mean, that's not entirely accurate, but it's, it's no, like... No, it doesn't it's, sound entirely accurate. <laughs> it's the gist. Yeah. The gist is a great name for this feature. That's what we should call this. <laughs> the gist. Of the, the gist of 2017. We could do the gist with Ollie Pitt and the jizz with Alex Fox. Perfect <laughs> book ending to the content. Oh, God. So, Ollie Pitt, mm. with that resounding success in our heads, let's look forward to the trends for 2017. Flares. <laughs> of the protest or Bee Gees type? Trousers. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're back. Yeah, apparently, according to Forbes, we're going to be... Uh, according to Forbes, yeah. where I look for all my fashion advice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're awesome for style. Can you not tell I base yeah. all my fashion trends on them? And I like to get my stock market tips from Women's Weekly. Yeah, we're going to be uh, wearing more flares. There are other trends as well that where we're sort of like, uh, it's this sort of nostalgic feel. So in the house, so interior design, it's all, all going to be about velvet and built-in bars. Sort of a 70s vibe. So bit like, Llewellyn Bowen. I don't really like velvet. I quite like it as a bordello vibe in a bar. Well, their suggestion is that it's going to be curtains are going to be made of it, cushions and couches are all going to be made up using velvet. Who's, who's they? Uh, Builder Online. <laughs> what I like is that you've got like, literally the worst sources of these trends. Hey, it's a source. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? They're pretty accurate because they've also said that quote art, which we've talked about before, and industrial furniture is out. That is out now. Yeah, you were on that, weren't you? Absolutely. You were ahead of the end of the trend. I'm always ahead of the end. What else? Digital home help. What does that mean? Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home will become more prominent in our everyday lives. Yeah, I believe that one, and yeah. I'm I'm slightly petrified of it. Why? Have you got Alexa? No. What's it called? Amazon Echo, the product, right? Amazon Echo. Yeah, yeah. I tried it out. And it is amazing. You can just say, Alexa, play The Modern Man, and it starts playing our podcast. Yeah. But the way that works is it's always on, right? So it's always listening out for you to say the word Alexa. 
Which means everything you're saying is being uploaded to a server in California. Everything you're saying, it's monitoring all our conversations. Can I just... How is that a reasonable trade-off, just so that you can order some Kleenex quickly? I don't know. I, it does scare me a little bit. Google now on my phone, so I found out recently that you can actually look at the data from like two years ago. And I've got stuff that my voice recorded two years ago yeah, on my weird. phone. That's really weird. I know that in reality, we live under a political regime where probably it's going to be fine. Mm. <laughs> I think that's a reasonable assumption to go into these things with. But most people are just going to be going, can you order me some toilet roll? So, yeah, you know, that's all right. Alexa, what else have we got? Disappearing ink tattoos. Uh, disappearing ink tattoos. Disappearing ink tattoos. Disappearing ink is a thing anyway, isn't it? It is. Under development at the moment, due for launch this year. Mm -hmm. So basically, you can uh, remove it at any time, virtually pain-free, this tattoo, after in that year period. The word virtually has an important role in that sentence, I feel. I think they've created a solution that can uh, break down the ink. So it just means that your, your body can uh, deal with the ink a bit easier. So like after a year, it starts to I get out. it, because actually, you know, if you look at the people who are most likely to have tattoos, they are basically the Snapchat generation, aren't they? And this yeah. is Snapchat for tattoos. Exactly. What's next? I'll give you three more. Robotic chef arms that can cook 2,000 meals. They're going to become available for purchase this year. Right, that's not a trend. That's just a press release again, isn't it? That's just amazing. That's, no, but it's not a thing that's going to... This time next year, you're not going to look around and say, ah, oh, you know what the big trend of 2017 has been? Robotic chef arms. No, but we're at the very bottom of the curve for this one. But I just thought I'd put it in there because, you know, you never know. You might have a robotic arm in your kitchen before you know it. What else? Foldable phones are going to make a comeback. Yes, now that I believe. Yes. Is this because I saw Apple filed a patent, didn't they, based mm -hmm. on the iPhone looking a bit like a sort of Nokia flip phone except it had two screens on it well I've based this one on Samsung who are releasing a foldable smartphone this year mm -hmm. apparently mm -hmm. but yeah why not they were great what I a brilliant agree. idea and now the technology is cheap enough that the screen on the outside could be as good as what we're used to seeing on a smartphone screen and the screen in the middle as well I mean it does sound really good I mean look at the size of my phone it's just I want to fold that in half now this is a real big prediction to make about phones go on do you think the trend in say three years time will be we will all have once again reasonable sized phones instead of these bricks we've been carrying around for the past few years no one would have predicted that phones would be getting bigger and bigger and bigger but they have I think it's got to go the other way again I'm going to say, I'm going to call it and say no, because the big screen is actually really good. Yeah, for now. No, I think it will be for the next few years. Yeah, for now, Ollie Pitt. But no. what about if, if people start learning from what they've created on smartwatches and the apps don't need to be that big anymore? No, because it, the, the trend is that we're consuming more and more video content, and why would you want to watch it on a smaller screen? Okay. Uh, and finally, and please finally, put me out of my misery. Internet usage will grow to 110 exobytes in 2017. What's an exobyte? An exobyte is one billion gigabytes. Just to put that into perspective, mm. uh, the human brain is 256 exabytes. So just to be absolutely clear, the entire capacity of the internet around the world is still not as big as the human brain. Nope. Oh. Ollie, if people have a trend for the next season of The Modern Man... Uh, they can get in touch via Twitter. Yes. If it's still around. At, at The Modern Man. At The Modern Man, M A N N. You're on Twitter as well, aren't you, Ollie? Why I not am. Give yourself a plug. Oh, why not? Uh, my Twitter is at Ollie E P O L L I E E P. That's right, Ollie spelt wrongly. And uh, alternatively, <laughs> jog on. Now, how to be a dad, part three. Back in November 2015, I sat down with two mates of mine, Tom Price 
and Stuart Goldsmith, both of whom happen to be stand-up comics and both of whom happen to have made their respective partners pregnant on more or less exactly the same date that my wife and I conceived my son Harvey. We didn't plan that. Um, But all of us weirdly did have sons at almost exactly the same time. So initially we met to discuss our feelings of trepidation about becoming fathers, even though Tom had one son in the bag already. Uh, We shared our anxieties about how our new arrival might affect our relationships, our sleep patterns, and even our posy liberal understanding of what it is to be a modern man, an equal parent. Um, We then met up again four months after our kids were born to compare notes on the horror of childbirth. Uh, Even if you're not the one with the baby coming out of your body, it is a fairly memorable event. Um, And now, part three. As each of our boys approaches their first birthdays, it was time to meet again and consider how best to celebrate. The first child, it was like we're having a party, we're inviting his friends. What? Other babies the same age. (laughs) They're not mates. And yeah, you all just sort of sit around and and pass time before bedtime together. Uh, Whereas with this time around, it's very much a case of we might get a cake and maybe invite close family around. Like it's a slightly upgraded tea and cake as opposed to before where it was almost like a downgraded 21st birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) So since you have a four-year-old as well. Yeah. What age would you say he was when he began to understand things like Christmas and birthday, properly understand it? Three. Two and a half, three. Two and a half, three. So yeah. basically, Stuart, don't need to care. Don't need to, <laughs> don't need to worry true. about yeah, this birthday I'm, or the next one. One of the ways I look at it, I think, is that when you're with the family, all you do is spend time together before bedtime. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of... Ch- so if we can use it as an excuse to get some grown-up mates out and maybe drink some wine during the day... Fantastic. Like, we're not expecting him to remember it. On the subject of presents, I should be making him a, a busy board, a.k.a. a fiddle board. I've seen a video online of how to make That's one. Good. Out of cardboard, you get a big cardboard sheet, cut holes in it, and then sellotape stuff to the other side. Yeah. Like, uh, you get um, some little fluffy different coloured pom-poms, you put them in a, a sealy bag, and you put some shaving gel in there, and then you seal it and gaffer it in around the back, and then he's got a little squidgy really tactile thing. We um, got back, from, picked up my eldest from school the other day, and he had some, like, a cardboard thing around his arm, and he'd sellotaped it around, and he was saying he was a robot or something. So we, my wife and I just looked at each other, and it was unsaid. We, were just, we just nodded. And we both got in the house. We hadn't even mentioned it on the walk home. We just went to the recycling bin, turned it upside down, bottles and cardboard and paper everywhere, and both of them fell on it. without. And they had, like, an hour and a half of bliss we've been doing baby sign language and it is so great we can sign home at him and he gets excited because he knows we're going home he asked for milk the other day by making the milk sign and he knows when it's bedtime because we do the bedtime sign and he goes oh he gets a bit grumpy but he gets grumpy downstairs which means he's over it by the time he's in bed it's proper classes isn't it you have to take them to a place where they teach yeah but they really teach you and then then you do it all the time so every time we're out every time we get home to the front door we go look we're home and he gets all excited he, he really understands it, yeah. But if you spent all those hours that you were teaching him to put your fingers together to say home, just saying home, <laughs> might he learn the word home and say it quicker? That's the thing I'm... Possibly, but he wouldn't be able to say it any faster than babies can talk, whereas yeah. they can make signs faster than they can but then, talk. So he asked for milk. But do they get lazy then? Uh, no, apparently it's the opposite. Apparently, you know, while their neural pathways are being formed, if they can already, if they can communicate faster than they otherwise would be able to, if they can converse faster than they end up, they end up with a real love for reading. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, I mean, that is such a common thing as well, when you think... 
Oh, he loves books. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? That, that thing of parents no one ever projecting... Says he loves to take an empty box of cereal and bash himself well, on the head with it. Or he loves watching Peppa Pig for six hours. He loves, <laughs> our son loves Peppa Pig so much that Netflix steps in and says, you have watched too much Peppa Pig. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so are you showing your baby screens? N- n- I don't show... <laughs> that was the answer. He's ashamed of the answer. No, no. <laughs> the, the answer is... We don't let our son watch children's television. Why? But because we just think he's a bit young, all that neural pathway stuff, like lots of too much imagery going into his head. We don't want him to get addicted to it and glued to it. But we don't change our behaviour sometimes around him because we don't want him to feel he's the centre of the world either. So often the telly is on in the background and he ends up watching it. So, of course, the net effect is he just watches a lot of Good Morning Britain and Sky News. That's quite but he's never seen. I Peppa would Pig. love. I might try he's and. Never seen, but sorry. I might petition to tweak our rules so that I can watch some telly in the morning when I'm hanging out with him. Do you not watch TV with him? No. This is no. extraordinary. Why not? Do you really think it's going to make a blind bit of difference? No, no, no. It? For me, it's a case of I don't want to be like the time I have with him is very limited and consequently very precious. That's so fair, I want yeah. to give him my full attention. I try not to use my phone when I'm with him. Yeah, it's really bad. I want some rules for that, but my I, wife won't have it because she's obsessed with her phone. And we, I would love to come in the house and we put our phones down in the hallway and we don't go back to them until they. It's ring not. It's not the phone. It's social networking. Yeah, I think the problem is once you 100%. open a social network, your brain goes to a different place. I know. Yeah. You know if you were... it, it's literally designed, it's all designed to distract you. Yeah. If you open Facebook, every single thing on it is designed by scientists to distract you <laughs> and draw you into a thing. So why would you risk gambling with the distractor every time you put it on? Uh, I still do, and it's no, problematic. Can we get back to the fact that you have, and I would, I would sort of class this as child abuse, neglected to allow your child to look at Peppa Pig for the whole, <laughs> a whole year of his life that's okay. missed out on Peppa Pig. I have looked into ages at which it's a good idea to let children watch TV. The American Pediatric Association says no screens before age two. No screens before two is completely, is insane okay, because, but, and here's my, here's my argument why, right? And bearing in mind, I'm, I'm not part of the American Pediatrics. I can't even say the fucking word. Sometimes you, you, as a parent, you need to have time where they are just at ease. Their brain is in a kind of default, zen, chilled out mode. Very few things do that as well as television. This idea that television zings them up and drives them mad, I'm sorry, but something like CBeebies and, in fact, TV show which I was in, Topsy and Tim, that was made with psychologists who, who were going about it in such a way that young, young kids could watch it. It is a really good opportunity for your child to be in a sort of stasis mode. You can't be up and running all the time. You can't, be, you can't become binary. Either they're going, ah, or it's nothing. Mine reads. <laughs> <laughs> And you also mentioned that you've been to the cinema a few times. What about with your partner? Does that ever happen anymore? Well, there was one night for her birthday, we went to see a show. We went to see Billy Elliot, <laughs> uh, which was great fun, but we were nervous and we both of our phones, we've both got crap iPhones that the battery just jumps from 50% down to 1%. So we got very edgy in the second half because we weren't able to contemplate, oh, what if everything's okay? But what I am doing is this Saturday, I'm taking a stand-up comedian's Saturday night off, um, which is a very rare, shaky thing. And I'm going to solo parent while my missus goes out and gets hammered. Well, that's and that's great and that's important, but it fundamentally changes your relationship, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it's um, yeah, you take it in turns to go and have fun, basically. And if one of you's having fun, sort of by accident, like you say, go to the cinema or something, or if you're away and you're like, oh, I'm, this is good, I'm having a nice dinner. It's not really quite the same level of fun because you just feel a bit guilty, really. It's like if it's been officially condoned, if you've had an official letter of permission, mm. then then it feels okay. But it's a horrible way to end up. 
having a relationship but where how, you're always having to get things passed and you know well, okay so how do you manage to keep your relationship on track is kind of what I'm getting oh, at here it's a really really timely question <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so hard it's so difficult I had a really bad day yesterday what because it all becomes about managing the children and managing your jobs and not about each other I mean that's basically my experience yeah, yeah, two. That's <laughs> all I've got to say to you, two kids. It just makes it so much harder. You, you can't end up in a situation where it's like guilt tennis. You've done that, right? That's my turn to get you. Well, it, becomes, it can become resentful very quickly and it can become, you can end up scoring points off each other, which is a very dangerous state to be in when you're just trying to... If, say, for example, yesterday, I looked after both kids all day and, and my wife was at a, a work lunch thing and she got back really late. And... She got back late and her instinct... I hope she won't mind me talking about this because hopefully this will be water under the bridge by the time this podcast is released. When she got back late, her instinct was to... She was already on the attack with me because she knew I was going to be on the attack with her because she was much later than she said she was going to be. What I would have loved would have been for her to get back and go, I'm really sorry. God, how was it? Was it how was it today? You sent me some texts. It sounded like it was quite bad. And So you can end up in a situation where you're, you're both going into a sort of defensive mode as well. You kind of go back in and you're just like, you're not being natural and, and sort of warm with each other because you're so obsessed with the, the suffering you've had to go through. It can become very resentful very, very quickly. Have you found that as well? Well, something I have noticed is that when, when I've been away, when I come back, she's in coping mode. She's mama. She's in charge. I come back and she corrects the way I'm doing things and I get frustrated, but I, you know, she's got to do the things, you know, so if I'm not doing it the way she normally does, I sometimes, once or twice, I've had to kind of go, the way I'm doing it is also right. It's just not the way she would, yeah, but she's got to have a routine and I'm not there. So she has to establish the routine. So it's her routine that I then, in her eyes, fail to adhere to. Whereas in my eyes, I'm just doing my way of being with him. And sometimes it's actually quite relaxing to just take him myself and hang out with him because I can just do it my way. And yes, maybe his thing isn't done up properly or you know, a bit of clothes aren't done up properly or maybe he's, you know, maybe this isn't the most efficient way to do this particular thing. But it's my way of <laughs> it doing it. It sounds like an awful thing to say, but sometimes looking after the kids isn't as big a problem as managing the other parent and I'm sure my wife feels the same way about me so like if I'm looking after the kids I'm doing it my way like you say the clothes aren't quite right and yes he's watching telly and he's eating something weird or whatever but they're fine and they're not currently dead and then when my wife comes in it's oh, and it, that that's the sort of the source of tension so it's not actually the managing the children it's managing the other one and I know that's mutual as well I know that goes both ways I, I also think um, that one of the the benefits of being in a relationship with the person with whom I'm in a relationship is that they are an ocean of calm compared to me. I'm the haywire one. I'm the emotionally difficult, fractious kind of one. And I have felt myself, and I don't know if this was happening last time we spoke, but I certainly have got a much more of a vivid relationship with anger than I did at the time. Like I have kind of snapped at her a few times in a way that I never had done before we we had a child because I feel more pressure. I'm loading more pressure onto myself. I'm getting a... I don't want us to be this kind of parents. You know, there's there's a lot more... Like, the any potential cracks in the plan really have a lot of uh, load to bear. And for me, I've really surprised myself by being quite snappy sometimes. That, that's less so now. So much. You're trying to control everything, don't you think? If you've got a plan and you, what kind of parents are we trying to be? 
I'm just trying to get to bath time. That's what kind of parent I'm trying to be. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I think if you're trying to control too much, that's when the problems can happen, when you're desperately trying to be, oh, this isn't quite right. And I'd fall into that problem myself as well. And the, the title of this sequence of episodes is How to Be a Dad. So I'm, I'm just going to ask you Oh, that. this will sort it out. This will uh, help. <laughs> Son age one, what is your number one tip? Don't try and be too controlling. That's the most important thing, I think. Make sure that... Take it a minute, literally one minute at a time. Uh, Stuart, your tips. I would really recommend sleep training. We put him down and we went, right, that's him. It's that time. He's down for a nap. He looked tired, so we put him down and he's staying down. And if he goes nuts for ages, we go back. But if he just cries for five minutes... Yeah. You set the time on your stopwatch and you go, right, we'll give him 10 minutes. Yeah. And then at minute three, you're going, I'm going back in there. And my missus is going, no, you're not, no, you're Resist, not. Yeah. Do all of that stuff. He now is very, you know, we can tell him it's time for a nap and he rolls over. And, he, and every time I come out of his room going, I can't believe it. I think um, a forward-facing papoose. I really highly recommend a forward-facing. No, backpack. We went, oh, nice. Goes on my shoulders. Oh, Daddy excellent. So he's, oh, great. Well, yeah, something, a papoose where they can see out, yeah. I think. Is, yeah, papoose is when they're in your chest critical. hair is a bit weird, isn't it? This is something I wanted to say, actually, about the previous episodes of of this podcast that we've done. In the first one, I think I was quite honest about some of my fears. And then so in the second one, I was like, right, I'm going to be super honest about what a tough time I was having of it. And I really was. And so I wanted to make clear in this one that I am absolutely head over heels in love with him. It is difficult. That morning thing in particular, he's not a morning person. I'm not a morning person. We're both not really online. I feel tremendous guilt that I'm not kind of uh, connecting with him. I'm away. He, his mum is really funny. And I'm like, I can't even make my baby laugh. And, and so there's, there's all sorts of... stand-up comedy. Yeah, totally. Oh, God, the warm-up's doing better than me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but also in the last episode, you talked about a kind of sort of male postnatal depression. You talked about not bonding with your son when you met him. And you talked about that being very difficult and, and contrary to your expectations before. Now, a year on... I'm guessing you probably just don't have those expectations to the same extent because it's life now. It's not just an idea. It's really interesting you you describe it like that. I probably described it like that at the time, but that's part of the soupy non-remembering it bit. I remember the version of those first few months that I've been talking about on stage in the last, you know, however many months. So it's it's not as... I don't ever represent it on stage as, as bleak as I sometimes felt it. And that's a really good point. It did feel a little bit, you know, yeah, I, when I first met him, I really didn't know if it was if I'd done the right thing. It's certainly the case that now I am, I feel I'm really over that. And part of it is I think you do need to sort of, it smashes you to bits so that then you can go right and sort of reassemble yourself differently. And I do feel like a dad now in a way that I'm genuinely happier than I've ever been in my life. I've, I feel like I've got purpose. I feel like I've got responsibility. And I was very, I mean, I can't speak for many of your listeners here, but I had a very lucky, easy life as a sort of gad about stand-up comedian. And I spent a lot of that lucky, easy life feeling a bit lonely and self-involved and all the rest of it. And now, no time for that. Get on, deal with the baby, and be rewarded with all of this joy you know when people say like who's a little bundle of joy I always thought that was just poetic no he's it's like he's made of joy and you just get this thing and you just need to do a little thing that makes him laugh and my heart breaks I mean I <laughs> I mean I'm quite a teary person generally but um 
I literally probably welled up three or four times yesterday whilst dancing around the kitchen with him, just going, this is so, this is magical. Stuart Goldsmith and Tom Price. If you'd like to hear more from them, and I would strongly recommend that you do, Stu presents an excellent podcast all about the art of stand-up comedy. It is called The Comedian's Comedian, and it's long-form interviews between him and his fellow comics. Um, But some really big names have been on there, people like Russell Howard, Jimmy Carr. You can find that on iTunes or any podcatcher, The Comedian's Comedian. Uh, And Tom Price as well is available uh, in internet form for your ears. He does a comedy show for Radio Wales called The Leak, L-E-A-K, and they podcast that. Or you can also hear him every weekend hosting a show on Magic uh, between 3 and 6 p.m. So I'll put links to all of that on our website. And big thanks to The Bill Murray, which is a comedy pub in Islington. It was they who provided the space for us to record that conversation. You can find out more about them at angelcomedy.co.uk. Isn't it tedious when you get money for Christmas? As we all know, what you really want is some synthetic socks, a hilarious book about cats playing golf, and aftershave you'll never use. Money is so boring and something of a burden. So if someone has been thoughtless enough to give you money this Christmas, don't just spend it on things you need. Why not give it to us? The Modern Man relies on your donations to keep us going. So if you enjoy our show and you'd like it to continue, why not just donate the cost of one pint of beer per month? £3.31, that's about five US dollars, by visiting modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and clicking beer money. Thanks. It's time for the first foxhole of 2017. Alex Fox is here. Hey. Happy New Year to the guy who's keeping podcasting history rolling, rolling, rolling into the future like Limp Biscuit on a Zorbing Adventure. I don't know what it means, but I'll take it. Did you use your lusty leftovers as promised in the previous episode? Well, I went home and spent Christmas with my family, so no, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't have a sex clear out of their bedside cabinet? Would no, have felt a bit no, inappropriate. No, yeah. no, Fine. no. What have you been up to? All sorts of exciting things. I feel like throughout last year, throughout mm. 2016, Ollie, I opened your mind until it was a vast gaping hole in terms of uh, what you understand of the sexual world. It's nice just to hear you say the phrase vast gaping hole and it be relating to my mind. I feel like you're less shockable than you used to be sexually and I'm certainly quite hard to shock Mm. yet I have been sent something by a company called Uber Kinky which shocked me and I think is going to make your jaw hit the floor as well. So, Uber Kinky. Is Uber it an Kinky. app that delivers sex toys to your door? No, they're oh. an online sex store, but they specialise in particularly extreme toys. Right. And this one is the triple X of extreme. Okay. I'm a little bit frightened. Have it here it's not this... a Donald Trump-shaped vibrator, is it? No, but the word Trump might have something to do with it. Okay. It's very well sealed. When this turned up at my office... <gasps> Can you identify that for me? Well, it's a large, uh, sort of semi-erect penis that looks a bit like a poo. It's exactly does that. It's a, it's for masturbation. This is the Oxballs Log Dildo six-inch version. So it's for people with, that have a poo fetish. It's for people who are into scat. Yeah, who yeah. who have a scatological poo fetish. Yeah, and like really big cocks as well. I mean, that's you know. <laughs> I love that you're just fondling. Well, I'm just I'm curious as well. Shite. But yet there's a 
very small testicle, I would that, say. That's called a turdlet, and apparently this is, this is a little nodule of fake poo that's designed to stimulate the clitoris or the perineum. You can oh, use well, it either way. Oh, well, makes perfect yeah. sense then. I why just, would you I, be into... I mean, we could do a whole episode on why you be into shit play anyway, but why, if you are into shit play, would you not like the smell? Who is that person? It, yeah, it takes quite a lot of dedication. You know, you've got a... The clean-up is extensive, I should imagine, whereas if you go with this, this fake log mm. then you don't have to worry about any of that it's sort of it's kind of like for want of a better phrase it's an entry-level product for people who want to play with scat i should imagine as well if you're not sure that you want to go for the real life uh, feces then you could play with that instead well there we go are you ready for the first listener sex question of 2017 bring it the hell on yeah i'm ready too it is as ever brought to us by our friends at mycondom.com one of the many brilliant reasons why mycondom.com are excellent is that they stock lots of different versions of trim or snug fit condoms, which are not only good for guys who are uh, more neatly proportioned, shall we say, but they're also good That's for That's a nice euphemism. Neat. Neatly proportioned. Yeah, a neat package. Sure. Why not? It's also good for gents who like condoms to fit quite securely because they're reassured then that they're going to stay on and, and stay in place. Uh, or if you're just a guy who likes that kind of snug, hugged feeling of a tighter condom. Let's take the question. It is from a listener called M, and she says... I had a few vibrators at the start of my sex life, but I haven't used any for a while. I liked, Alex, that you recently mentioned wands, as having been on antidepressants for nearly 10 years, they sound really interesting to me. You were talking about how people who are on those drugs can actually still orgasm using one of those machines. Yes, a lot of people on SSRIs uh, do find it quite hard to orgasm, females and males included in that, and a really intense, deep, rumbly vibrator like a wand can assist. The only way I can orgasm at the moment is with a duvet between my legs without my husband in the room. I'm not that taken with the garish and plastic toys. Uh, I don't think the, uh, the shit dildo is for her then. And I am concerned by manufacturing quality and ethics. So, Alex, are there any natural sex toy options and are there any ethical or fair trade or green ones? Eco-sex products are actually a massive trend. There's so much more out there than you might imagine. And that encompasses things that are good for the earth, so manufactured in a way that minimises their carbon footprint or uses recyclable or renewable materials, Mm -hmm. things that are made in a way that limits pollution. Eco-sex toys also encompass stuff that's good for your body. Um, If you are inserting things, particularly into your vaginal or anal cavity, the mucous membranes in there are very permanent and tend to take in substances. So if you're concerned with your body absorbing chemicals, Mm. then you might want to look into eco-based sex toys. And actually, the law is changing with regards to what chemicals can be used in the manufacture, both of products like lubricants and intimate moisturisers, but also the ingredients that go into plastics and uh, and rubbers. Although a third thing to take into account when you're talking about eco-sex toys is also whether they're produced in a way that's fair trade and good for those people who are manufacturing them. If you look at a lot of sex toys on the cheaper end of the scale, a lot of them are made in factories in China where people are probably not receiving a fair wage and working standards might not be very high. So if you care about your body, you care about the earth and you care about the other people on it, eco-sex toys are interesting for you. How do you find an eco-sex toy? 
There are specialist websites. There's one called ethicalsextoys.co.uk. But a lot of the, the mainstream, well-known sex stores also carry ethical products. Um, that might mean just thinking about what your sex toy is made of. I think we've mentioned these before because mycondom.com sell them. Ceramic dildos uh, made out of, of pottery. Uh, you can uh, put them in hot water or cold water to change the temperature. Uh, similarly, you can get glass dildos and they're, they're really beautiful. They kind of look like sexy paperweights that come in all sorts of beautiful designs with different colours swirled in them. Uh, you can get metal sex toys. If you want something, though, that vibrates, there are a number of options that are good for the environment as well as being good for your down, down below area. What? You can get a solar-powered bullet vibrator. I've yeah. heard everything. You whack it on your windowsill during the day. Of course, little... what would be the problem there? The bullet itself you could probably hide inside a pencil case or something like right, that because right. it attaches with a wire to a tiny little to solar, solar panel. panel. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if that seems like too much effort, though, there's also a vibrator called the Earth Angel, which is wind-up. And eight Love hours... It. Yeah, eight hours of cranking gets you one whole hour of wanking. Amazing. What about prophylactics? What about condoms and lubricant? I'm forever talking about the merits of uh, non-latex condoms made out of polyisoprene. One of the unfortunate downsides sides of those is that they're not biodegradable and when you think about how many condoms are used across the world and mm. I'm not saying don't use condoms but that's a whole lot of used johnnies in landfill uh, latex ones are slightly better uh, they will biodegrade over time however latex doesn't break down in water so that's another great reason not to flush your used connies down the bog so what is the solution there what's the most ethical green condom some people who are really dedicated to the cause... I've got a horrible feeling I know what you're going to say. What? Is it like sausage skin? Is it animal? Lamb skin. You yeah. can still get lamb skin well, That's kind skin of the obvious... Condoms. I mean, that's where they come from originally, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. That's what people used a to make them from. Exactly. Have you ever encountered a lamb skin condom? No, I haven't. They are remarkable. Uh, first up, a safety note. Lambskin condoms will protect you from unwanted pregnancies, but actually don't shield you from STIs because they're made of a natural permeable membrane. Although it's the, the, the teeny microscopic holes in lambskin, well, it's actually made from sheep's intestines, I think. They're small enough to block sperm, but they're not small enough to block viruses or bacteria. So you, you might still be at risk of contracting a sexually transmitted infection. And, and presumably you, the idea is you wash it out, do you, after each use? Oh, no, no. Uh, oh, it's still disposable? Ones, yeah, most of the ones that you can get these days, Trojan produce a lot of them do in they? the States. Yeah, Goodness. yeah. The ones you can you get these, these days are single use only. They are odd, though. They're kind of, they have a drawstring at the base, so you essentially tie them round your todger. Uh, and they also, although manufacturing methods have improved to make them smell less, they do have quite a distinctive farmyard based odour but on the flip side not only will they break down just fine after you've used them but because they're made of a natural animal based membrane they transmit heat really well because you're literally using something that pretty much is skin it feels like skin on skin yeah, sex. Yeah, I can imagine that. Okay, and finally, we talked about another kind of green lube in the last episode, but uh, is there an earth-friendly lubricant? There are many. A lot of people <laughs> like to make sure that their lubes don't contain something, an ingredient called parabens. Uh, these are a form of preservative that help to stop bacterias and moulds growing in liquids over time. Although most tests on run on individual parabens have showed that there's no link between 
their inclusion in things like cancer. Some people have concerns that that we don't know a lot about the long-term use of parabens or the the cumulative uh, build-up of them in the body. And also, if they are included in cosmetic products or things like lubes, often there's more than one type of paraben in a product, and we're not sure entirely how these things react with each other over time. So it's good to check that your lubricant doesn't contain parabens as a basic. Uh, If you want to upgrade things and use a lubricant that works well with your body, and I actually predict that this will be a trend for 2017. Oh, look at you jumping on the trends bandwagon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Have you heard of probiotics and prebiotics? As soon as you say that, in my head, I'm going, hmm, turn on. Yes, yeah, they, they're usually included in yoghurts. Yeah. And the idea is that... Don't tell me you sneer that on your snatch, and that's the trend for 2017, Alex. I'm not <laughs> saying that you put dairy in your down below. What are you saying? The friendly bacteria that you find in yoghurts that are supposed to look after your gut and keep your, your stomach healthy. Equally, in women's vaginas, there are friendly bacteria that help to prevent problems like thrush or bacterial vaginosis and, and keep a healthy pH in in that area certain companies are now putting probiotics in lubricants that help to keep that healthy flora in a healthy balance a number of i'm not actually allowed to say Mm -hmm. but a number of leading brands have got these products in the pipeline Mm -hmm. for this year great so what a (laughs) what a way to end the series and look forward to all the friendly vaginal bacteria you can encounter well better than unfriendly vaginal bacteria Yes, I suppose it is. And if you want something delightful to put around your nethers, remember to head over to mycondom.com where you can get 15% off using our special checkout discount code. Foxhole. F-O-X-H-O-L-E. And if you have a question of sex for the next series of The Foxhole, and by the way, it better be a good one because we're back on Valentine's Day. We're going to choose the absolute best question that we can for Valentine's Day. Uh, what do people need to do with it, Alex? Head on over to our website, which is modernman.co.uk, then you can tweet us at the modern man. Yeah, and I gave Ollie the chance to plug his Twitter as well, so go ahead. Oh, you can get hold of me directly at, at Alex Fox. And my name has a funny spelling it's A L I X, one I like Cyclops, and then Fox like the rusty coloured animal that digs through your bins. And with that, this series of The Modern Man is very nearly at an end. Uh, If you are craving some man action whilst we're off air, uh, do check out the discussion show I've just made for Radio 4. It's called The Mail Room. It's a three-part series in which I talk about modern masculinity. It's a bit like the serious bits on this show, but, you know, proper. Uh, You can listen to that now on the BBC's iPlayer radio app. It's called The Mail Room. Uh, Our theme is by Django Django from their self-titled debut album. And to end the series, we have our record of the week. This week, it's by Valerie June. It's called Astral Plane, and it's out now on Sunday Best Records. And you can hear all our top music choices from the past three seasons in their entirety on our own curated Spotify playlist. Find it and all of our past episodes at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Uh, That is it. That's season three of The Modern Man. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill, and we'll see you on Valentine's Day. Is there a light you have inside you can't touch? A looking glass can only show you so much. Follow the signs 
slowly but steady don't rush the day will come when you're ready just trust dancing on the So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.